What's your uh, What's your new podcast all about? Uh, it's called Thank God for Noster. I don't know if you've heard of Thank God for Bitcoin, but. Uh, uh, Okay, I think I've I've heard it. I don't know that I've heard the podcast, but I think I've seen, you know, heard of it. Yeah, they just launched a podcast, and I think they've done well. They did a conference in Miami, like a couple of days before the Bitcoin conference, and then I'm not sure if that was their first one or the second. I think it was the second one. Um, so I happened to meet the guy uh, who runs it, Jordan, in Miami when I was there, and uh, I was like. I like your brand. I would like the same kind of thing for, for Noster. So, uh, let's go mm -hmm. ahead and do it. And he, he totally went for it. He was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. So now we're recording a couple episodes a week and, uh, the first one should be out this week. Um, we've at oh, least great. got a teaser out there already, but yeah, we're kind of, can I just find it? Like, do you have a website for it or just find it? Link to your, uh, I think tgfb.com and then there's like the podcast TG button at the top and it's listed there. Oh, nice. Yep. Yep. I see it right here. Yeah. And it's, so this is it's super exciting. So the goal of TGFB is to educate and equip Christians to understand Bitcoin and use it for the glory of God. And then this is kind of the same thing, but for Noster, is that, is that right? Yeah, exactly. We're kind of getting started with like a five or six part series on what is Noster, why should normal people care about it? Um, and then we kind of like go off the rails into like some Christian philosophy stuff uh, and then bring it back to Noster and, and back and forth. And then when we have that out, we're going to start uh, just talking about um, sort of, I guess you might call them like social issues that are tangential to Noster. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, we're going to have like guests on and stuff like that. So, uh, it should be fun. Uh, I'm not the best podcaster, but, uh, uh, I'm glad that someone's doing it and, uh, and I get to be that person. Oh, so you're, yeah, you're great. Yeah. It's, it's great to, I mean, I think it's most important thing is you have like depth and expertise in this category, which is like the most important thing. And then your podcasting skills are already great, but you can keep developing it. Um, but yeah. most important is this new content and you're sort of, you're in the thick of it. So everybody wants to hear, hear what you're learning and knowing and, and figuring out. Yeah. The thing what I really have to work is on is my, sort of is all the, my ums. Oh, <laughs> all my ums and you, you can actually ahs, get, you know? um, have you played with, uh, Descript? Do you know Descript? Descript. Does that like strip, uh, strip the ums and ahs out for you? One of the things, yeah, it's kind of a whole kind of video editing, podcast editing suite that lets you edit as a, almost like you're editing a text document and it edits the video sort of as a side effect of your text. Oh, edits. that's really cool. Um, so it's a really simplified editor if you're not familiar with, you know, Adobe Premiere Pro or some of the more professional tools. Um, nice. But they also have an um and ah remover, which I've played with before, and it's actually quite good. Really well done. So, yeah, I'm a uh, like, ironically, uh, I'm a Luddite. I, I really like um, doing things the hard way. So yeah. I'm doing my best <laughs> to train, train my speech so that I'll be a, a good speaker. Uh, you know, like in college, I read Quintilian and uh, he has all these funny heuristics for how to deal with those exact same kind of problems. And, um, like I don't remember anything hardly from Quintilian and Cicero when we read it. But, uh, the one thing I do remember is he's like, he has all these like specific hand gestures you're supposed to use when you're speaking. So mm. he's like, touch your thumb and your middle finger and then strike your thigh when you're making a, making a point. And that's like, that's like correct mm. classical way to speak things. So, uh, I probably oh, well. won't be adopting that particular mannerism, but uh, at least <laughs> I've never seen that on a podcast. But that'd be, that'd be fun. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Uh, 
Yeah. Another another good like classical classical tip is Demosthenes uh, was a, a Greek orator. And what he would do is he would go to the ocean and uh, yell at the ocean because he had a naturally very weak voice. And so he overcame that by uh, like speaking, uh, orating to the ocean, which is amazing. Right, right. <laughs> it's good. Any, any way you can get a bunch of reps, I think, is the, yeah. the thing. Just do stuff and it'll... Did you ever read that? Um, I think it was... Do you know Ira Glass? I think it was an yeah, Ira Glass yeah. quote. Have you read his quote on creativity? I don't think so. Okay, I'm going to see if I can pull it up because it's it's just really good. And it applies to everything. It applies to, you know, I don't know if you can remember back when you started, you know, building software, but, you know, it applies to that just as well as it applies to podcasting. He says, nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there's this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff. Sorry, I just got to pop up. <laughs> For the first couple of years, you make stuff. It's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have the special thing that we wanted to have. We all go through this. And if you're just starting out or you're still in that phase, you got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you'll finish one story. It is only by going through a volume of work that you will close the gap and your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. Yeah, that's very good. I've definitely had that experience. Uh, back in high school, I used to do a lot of animation stuff, um, mm -hmm. but I didn't I didn't have any idea what you were supposed to do. And I never read a book on it or took a tutorial. I just taught myself using the tools at hand. My first few animations were made in MS Paint and I saved them as bitmaps. Mm -hmm. And then got like a gift yep. stitcher thing to, to stitch them together. And that was how I started animating. And I did that yep. for like four or five years and then uh, gave up because it was not very good. Um, but yeah, uh, I improved a lot over that time. What, what I wish people had told me is uh, read a book. There's other people who know how to do this and they're mm -hmm. better tools. Don't just go yep. at it with like a blank canvas. <laughs> right. Yeah. And today we've got YouTube, right? So YouTube is yeah. a great resource to see some of the best experts at something performing well or see hear how they talk about their journey or sort of what it was like to begin yeah the barrier to entry back then also was find, a lot higher for sure yeah yeah when we didn't have all the <laughs> the internet resources i also yeah. think that something that is maybe underappreciated in this creative work process is the fact that like it feels awkward to not have your own voice or not know kind of who you are as a creative and so it feels awkward to start by kind of copying, but actually I think it's kind of helpful to say like, Hey, I see this thing that I appreciate. Can I even just make that thing like a copy of that, but in my own creative, you know, with my own, my own hands in a sense. Um, and I think if you can do that, it's like at least a kickstart to try something, you know, and yeah. maybe you'll develop your voice over time. That is the hard part for a really creative person because the creative person is motivated by wanting to be authentic and original and you can't be authentic and original if you don't rip someone off first. Uh, and usually yep. you have to do a lot more ripping off uh, than actual creative uh, original work. Um, yep. I think it, like for me, at least it's hard to re realize how long life is, you know, um, you see like biographies of Picasso and he's usually, I mean, he did all his work when he was, at least 60, I think. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I've got another 30 years potentially before I actually uh, do original, authentic, creative work. And that's about how long yep. I've lived. Um, it's hard to appreciate <laughs> yep. how much time you actually have to lay right. the groundwork uh, before you do something totally. uh, original. And then and then also take Picasso, for example, look at some of the early stuff he did before he was the Picasso that we know, before yeah. he developed the style that we know classically as Picasso. Now he was kind of doing like the stuff that was on trend of the day. He wasn't doing like particularly novel, innovative work. He was just kind of like, in a sense, playing in the mainstream before he sort of developed his own voice. Yeah. And ironically, I'm a very big fan of early Picasso and I don't care that much for his later stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh, That's neither here nor there. Right. Um, and so tell me a little bit more about the, the impetus for the podcast. So it sounds like I know I've seen in your biography or your, your bio on your profile that you mentioned being a Christian and we've talked about that before. How do you think that Christianity and Noster mix or sort of what are the potential kind of touch points where those would, would intersect? Yeah, it's a funny question. Uh, I mean, as far as like why I ended up doing it, it wasn't really something I intended to do. I thought about starting a Noster podcast back in like February and then uh, G Sovereignty started his and uh, that saved me from having to execute on it. Um, <laughs> but I, I like listening to podcasts, so producing one sounds like fun. And I think the reason I really started it is I've over the last year or two or three, I've been learning to say yes to things, uh, especially mm-hmm. through this Noster experience. I just said yes to a bunch of things that I wasn't prepared to actually execute on. And it's all turned out really well. So I was like, well, let's just say yes to this, too. Um, mm-hmm. You have to say no to a lot of other things. Uh, but I, it was just kind of an accident, really, that we started it. Um, but yeah, it, your question about what what Christianity has to do with Noster is really interesting because, you know, as a as a Christian, uh, well, it's. It's it's like any other worldview, really. Your worldview shapes basically everything. Mm-hmm. And um, as a Christian, you know, we believe that God made the world and he called it good at the beginning. And so anything that's in the world is good in some essential sense. That doesn't mean that evil doesn't exist, but it does mean that um, knowing the creator God uh, means that you have a special kind of insight into basically everything. And that's not to say that everything that exists is in the Bible. Uh, obviously not like there's, there's very little in the Bible about metallurgy, right? Uh, you have to actually mm-hmm. like do the hard work of researching and dis- discovering, uh, information about the world through science in order to, uh, do something new or, you know, like artistic, authentic. Um, but, uh, but knowing, Knowing the creator God who made things, there's a there's a proverb we actually cited on the podcast recently. Um, it's the glory, uh, glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to find out a matter. So <laughs> that's kind mm-hmm. of an oblique answer. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's like being a Christian shapes how you think about everything, and especially when you're talking about social media. So it's hard to see how being a Christian might affect uh, you know, uh, your job in material science or something like that, coming up with better, uh, like adhesives or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but when you're talking about social media, uh, it's really important to have a framework for, uh, what speech is, what people are for, um, you know, what society is for, how society should actually function. There's, there's so much, 
um, cultural impetus uh, right now of escaping the constraints that are put on people. Um, and mm-hmm. I think to the point where a lot of people don't believe there are any real constraints. You know, you, you see this in the politics that we have today, but also in a lot of the approach to technology. You know, Elon Musk is an obvious example. He he wants to do Neuralink and, um, you know, separate our mind from our soul and from our body because he doesn't really believe in the soul. Um, and that's that's a project that from a materialistic perspective looks like it would work. Um, same thing with AI. If AI takes over and we do a good job of harnessing it, then um, like any basically any result is OK. We balk against the idea of serving our robot overlord masters who extinguish the human race. But materialists don't really have a reason to uh to object to that because if we're just material if we are just brains um uh then our minds can be uploaded to the cloud and we don't lose anything but as a christian i believe that people are created in the image of god there's something uh there's something triune about us there's something um really uh, essential about our bodies uh, as awkward and like ugly as like the physical re- reality of of people is um that is something that god called good and so we should not discard those things without without reason and you know my personal like prediction about ai and transhumanism and a lot of the futurism stuff is um it's just it's it's not even going to result in a dystopia it's just going to fall apart um Mm. there's a lot of stuff in the bible juxtaposing the kingdom of god with the kingdom of man uh you know St. Augustine wrote a book on that, but, uh, you know, Babylon versus Jerusalem, Jerusalem is supposed to be the heavenly city where there's justice. And, uh, you know, in reality, that was not really true. Jerusalem usually acted more like Babylon, but then the Babylonians actually come in and capture the Jews and bring them off to Babylon. And then you really see what Babylon is like. And, um, you know, Babylon is one of the most ancient cultures in existence. And, uh, you know, they were all about control, about law. You know, Hammurabi introduced the law. They had a base 60 uh, number system. So they had math mm-hmm. and they had commerce. They like they locked down a lot of stuff. Their mythology is very well developed. Um, their society was very stable. They, they, they locked down a whole mm-hmm. lot of stuff. Um, but like, that's not really how God intended the world to be run when when uh, the Babylonians way early on built the Tower of Babel. He came down mm-hmm. and he he said, you know, what, you guys, you're not exactly doing this according to plan. I'm going to I'm going to reorient you <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're not going to like it, but I'm going to send you off in some different directions uh, to do right. things my way. Um, and God, God has uh, intervened in history a lot less frequently since then, you know, like, uh, we're reading about, um, uh, I'm reading Jeremiah with my family right now. And mm-hmm. in, in that story, God takes, takes out Jerusalem by sending, uh, Babylon to do it. He's like, Babylon is the work of my hands. They're doing my work. So just go along peacefully because I'll take care of you. This is my plan. Whereas, uh, you know, a thousand years before that, um, 800 years before uh, Sodom and Gomorrah needed some judgment. And he was just like, all right, I'm going to send some angels and they're going to rain some fire and brimstone from the heaven and it's going to going to get flattened. So mm-hmm. God's heavy handed involvement has decreased over time because he's giving people um, the job that they originally were meant to be given in the Garden of Eden. Eden um, he said, Adam, go name all the animals. That's your job. 
And mm -hmm. Adam didn't last long before he got fired. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the creation mandate of uh, fill the earth, subdue it. Um, he gave gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis three, right after they got kicked out of the garden. So basically, the history of the human race is the development of that that mission of stewardship. So, right. you know, Jesus came 2000 years ago. He's our king and he's 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 bringing us into maturity and to be to be able to properly steward the world. And, and how, uh, how do you, you know, you look around that yeah. kind of stewardship because you, you mentioned, you know, maybe something like Noster or, you know, maybe Elon Musk's view of, you know, kind of how, you know, how technology should develop with Neuralink. How do you sort of map that initial stewardship directive to this very modern day where, you know, a lot of these things, maybe there wasn't even language or concept of what it would, you know, how, how to interpret it. Like, are there people who collectively try to interpret it together? How, how does that process work? Yeah. Well, the, the way I like to think about it is in terms of natural revelation, right? So like the Bible is not explicit about the internet or, uh, rockets or modern medicine or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, one thing that's kind of a, a Christian biblical concept is the idea of natural revelation, where not only are we, are we given this like material substrate to deal with, this material substrate actually reveals something about God. And that was a really common idea in the in the Middle Ages. So but what that has to do with technology is that technology is not invented, it's discovered. And so the process of technologization is not one of imposing our view of things on material world. It's it's a process of being a king and discovering what the purpose that God imbued into the world actually is because there's use and there's misuse. I, I don't think anyone would disagree about that. Um, you know, you can use a rock to build a, a, a building or you can use a rock to knock someone out with. Um, it's, it's fairly obvious which of those is the appropriate use of the rock. And so everything that exists has an appropriate use. Um, people have an appropriate use. Language has an appropriate use. Uh, and, Internet, the Internet seems like it's something that we kind of came up with out of a whole cloth, but it's not. Uh, God invented silicon um, and silicon is a semiconductor. Uh, I just I, that is so cool It is so cool that there mm -hmm. is a rock, right, that has these properties yes. to actually in increase the speed of transmission of information to the speed of light. Yeah. Uh, why did we didn't invent that? Like. <laughs> people found yeah, what was yeah. there and they put it together and and there you go so the same applies to social media right these these uh walled gardens that we have twitter and and facebook and everything they they exist because the affordances are there uh for them to be made but it's not really a discovery project that the project of babylon is imposition of will onto a material substrate the pro the project of the kingdom of heaven is a seed growing in a garden and turning into a tree uh, mm -hmm. in which the birds of heaven, you know, roost in its branches. So I think the way I approach social media and Noster is we are discovering the correct way to um, to communicate with each other using this concept of social media. And mm -hmm. it's a really, really hard project because it means we have to discard so many assumptions uh, about what social media even is. Um, you know, most, most Twitter or most Noster clients out there are essentially a ripoff of Twitter. And that includes Coracle. You know, you've got the like mm -hmm. button and Jack has said a lot of times, like, I don't like the like button. We should get rid of it. But it's like, mm -hmm. what, <laughs> what is social media without a like button? Uh, right. but a like button comes from the paradigm of, uh, sort of 
encouraging engagement. And we want engagement because we want people to spend more time so they can see more ads and provide more data to us that we can monetize. And that's essentially like a predatory um, use of social media. It's a misuse of human beings and of speech and of attention and time. Uh, all, all things, all these primitives that God has given us to use correctly. And so the process of stewardship is figuring out, well, what should I be doing when I'm on the internet browsing? Oops. I think I, I think I may have lost the audio for a second. Are you still there? Yep. Yep. Still here. Okay. I, I heard all the primitives that God has okay. given us to use correctly. And then it, it kind of cut. Yeah. So what should we be doing when we're on our computers on social media? Like, what does that even mean? Um, we have so many assumptions about what it means. And, you know, one concern that people often share is, well, what about social media addiction? What about young girls who, um, you know, have like body image problems because of Instagram? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, none of that was intended uh, to be part of social media. That's what we've done as we misuse social media for profit. Um, mm -hmm. so, so do you think about this, like on a, on a day-to-day -day basis at like the feature level that there's like, you mentioned a like as a feature that has ways to be misused. Uh, and I, I would generally agree with those not being, you know, kind of the types of things we would hope for. Um, but do you think that like a like button is inherently, a misuse or could it be the algorithms behind it and all of the other kind of ad serving and all the other kind of assumptions that are baked into it that are the misuse maybe just as a communication transmission of human experience at the speed of light is actually kind of an okay use of a light button like how do you sort of weigh the the you know how do you value or evaluate you know at the feature level something's kind of fitness for for you know good use I lost you for a second there. Uh, that's all right. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I got the whole thing. Um, but yeah, so like I, I would like to do more thinking about, uh, all these individual features right now. There's so much work just to build Nostra in the first place with, uh, mm -hmm. kind of the key, uh, you know, the cryptographic side of things and the relay side of things that, uh, that's enough for my poor brain to handle. But, um, yeah, like, so, so for likes, right. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, uh, that the devil never, never tells a lie, uh, right out. He always mixes it with a seed of truth. And so the most effective, um, uh, inventions and impositions of the will of man on creation are, are based on some amount of truth. So a like is, um, you know, it's an imitation of a facial expression. If you say something that I like, I smile. And that is something that we're like biologically programmed to actually want. Like mm -hmm. you want me to smile at you. That that makes you feel good. And so you you have this like dialectic of affection going on. Um, and that can go in a lot of different directions. It can go towards productivity, it can go towards love. Um, but alike is is a way of expressing that. And a like is a lot less satisfying than a smile. Um, a smile gives you a much more complete picture of, uh, and nuanced picture of, uh, what that reaction actually is. Whereas a like, you know, you see, um, you see that your notification badge and you see that someone liked something you said, and that gives you a little endorphin rush. But mm -hmm. so it's kind of like when you're driving a car through, uh, through the fog or, or just driving a car in general, um, our bodies were not meant to process information at those speeds. Um, you, 
if you drive a lot, you um, you're constantly uh, bombarding your senses with uh, a whole uh, host of stream of information. And that produces a lot of stress in your body. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's it's unhealthy. It has uh, metabolic repercussions, actually, um, just driving a lot, mm -hmm. um, not just from sitting down, but from actually processing all that data. And so I think um, social media is the same thing. You have this stripped down um, version of social interaction that is uh imitative of the real thing but ultimately unhealthy and um you know so that's that that's like kind of a default uh that, that gives you a default position of um social media is bad right <laughs> where it's it's lesser than the real thing um but you know you can apply that to any technology uh like the book you know i think at this point everyone agrees like books are good they're useful um, mm -hmm. but books are less, uh, than having a real conversation with someone. Right. So are we going to discard books because they're an imitation of something that's more complete? No, I don't think so. Um, there are things you can do with books. You can, you know, asynchronous work, basically. Um, you right. can also articulate yourself by putting your thoughts into a book in a more complete and digestible way. You can transmit that information to more people. So I think, um, social media has, has similar, uh, use cases, but, but I honestly mm -hmm. don't really know how to think about it because, um, you know, our, our default view of social media is just so out of whack. Yeah. Well, I think our defaults are shaped by like a single set of experiences we've had or a very limited yeah. set of experiences that have all kind of been convergent in their design. Like you mentioned a like, and you can't mention a like without mentioning the notification that goes off. And that's not a property of the universe. That's just like a choice that all of the app designers have chosen to do because it's effective for serving more ads. Right. Um, but maybe likes don't have to trigger notification bells or maybe it can be optional and maybe there's all kinds of, you know, different design spaces that could work around the medium that just haven't been explored because you know there've been a handful of companies that have done the exploration. Yeah, definitely. Um I think design is is a big part of Nostra development and um you know there's Carnage is uh, uh Carnage and Danielle are the two designers I know of. Um also maybe Daniel, I think I don't know how much work he's done in the space, but um you know, you can actually see most most Nostra apps look like something that Carnage designed. Uh, his his <laughs> like visual uh, visual imprint uh, is there. Aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would really like to see more of that really original design work being done uh, for likes. Uh, you know what it would look like to get rid of them. Um, and but mm -hmm. also for like relays and, and key management and onboarding and stuff like that. It's right. It's kind of hard. Like it's uh, it's it seems like an inherent limitation with the medium. You know, I've been writing uh, software, web software for 10 years, and it's weird to me that we're still stuck in stuck with just boxes, right? A button is a mm -hmm. box inside of a card, which is a box, which is inside a screen, which is, in, which is a box. And there's something about uh, the geometry of squares. That's just really comfortable to people. You know, if you lived inside of a geodesic dome, there would be mm -hmm. all this wasted space, uh, both above you and around the edges of the room. Um, and it would not be as comfortable as a square house, but like what is mm -hmm. less, what is less human than a square, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, we're not square. Uh, our eyes aren't square. Our field of vision isn't square. Our, Oops, I, think uh, I, I think I'm dropping your audio a little bit. Can you still hear okay. me? Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. I think you're back. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying like, what is less human? Yeah. What's less human than a square? None, none of our faculties are are square shaped. Our field of vision is not a square. Um, right. We've got all these weird things like your your fovea, where it's this little blind spot that your your mind uh, papers over. And yet, people like squares. We like to live in squares. We like to read from books that are square. We like mm-hmm. we like our phones to be square or rectangular. We like our computers mm-hmm. to be square. We like uh, I don't know. It's I'm just totally uh, off on a tangent now, but uh, yeah, I find it really but, interesting. Yeah, there's, you know, because because like the ideal is is like uh, Jarvis um, and Iron Man's suit where everything is out in the air and and tangible. And I kind of mm-hmm. think that that's too much information for people. And uh, mm-hmm. and a square is actually like <laughs> uh, the best yeah. possible uh, representational form for information. I guess squares are like interchangeable or like right angles allow for a lot of interchangeability that different like, you know, kind of spherical shapes don't necessarily have because they have like different curvature and stuff. I think about like walking around a a geodesic dome home and I'm not sure like what would my bed or dressers or where would my desk <laughs> fit in such a space. Yeah. But they're not hexagonal and hex- hexagons and triangles are, are even better in that sense. Um, but we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have this like two axis um, sort of view of the world. I, I wonder if, you know, we had, uh, you know, what are the eyes called that like uh, dragonflies have, you know, they've all the, all the segments in their eyes. Oh yeah. Uh, I wonder right. if we would have a hexagonal grid system if we had those kind of eyes. Right. Uh, right. where yep. there's, and if we fly, if we flew, I guess, right. Because on the, when you're standing on the ground, you've got, you've got a flat surface and then everything is oriented from there. You don't have six directions. You only have four. Um, right. Yeah. But like maybe, maybe dragonflies, if they came up with software, uh, it would be mm-hmm. all hexagons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well maybe with uh ai we can empower them to do so <laughs> yeah that will be interesting <laughs> so um i i noticed you wrote a note uh i think just maybe an hour ago or even less uh where you were kind of talking about relay selection i don't know if that was something in particular that your uh, thread you've been thinking about a lot but it kind of got you know something i've been thinking about and it got me wondering sort of what your positions are on on kind of relay selection relay visibility and sort of what's the current state of discussion around this you know among kind of the development community in Noster do you have kind of a yeah, little I, bit of overview of that problem space yeah i don't really go around surveying the other clients that are out there all that often i'll i'll check in on them every so often but i don't like go through the onboarding workflows but apparently coracle uh, according to the person that i was quoting is the only client that introduces relays in the onboarding process um and this is something that I worked on a lot in April. Uh, I was trying to figure out um, how to surface relays in a way that was useful and informative. Um, so I added those little colored dots at the bottom of notes in Coracle, and you can click on those to see your feed filtered to just that relay. Uh, you can also add relays to your lists so that uh, your lists only pull from a certain selection of relays, or you might be able to, you can set up like a global feed for an individual relay that way. Um, if you go to the relays page on Coracle and click browse relays, I also added a couple weeks ago a, um, a feature for uh, leaving reviews and viewing reviews on relays. So you can go there and you can skim through reviews and you can see, okay, what's the average rating for this relay? 
and then you can add it or not, depending on what people say. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing, you know, those pages also have a global feed for each of those relays. And the goal in my mind is basically to decommoditize relays. Right now, a relay is uh, it's people view it like a Bitcoin node where it's a certain amount of um, actually people view it like like a Bitcoin miner, where it's a certain amount of computational resources uh, sort of thrown in a naive way at a problem mm-hmm. in order to support the network. Well, that's that's sure. That's how Bitcoin miners work. But it's actually not how Bitcoin nodes work. People often say, you know, you should run a node um, and then they're quick to elaborate on what that means. But the elaboration is often lost on people. You run a Bitcoin node not to support the network. Uh, Running a node doesn't do anything. It only does anything if you actually use your node to validate transactions and make sure that the miners are behaving uh, correctly. And then you can reject mm-hmm. certain certain uh, information uh, based on uh, the state of the blockchain as interpreted by you via your software. So um, I think relays are a lot more like uh, uh, Bitcoin full nodes than they are like uh, Bitcoin miners. They're running a relay mm-hmm doesn't do anything. Uh, it doesn't help the the system scale. The system only scales when data locality um, is, uh, you know, aligns with the the network of relays that are out there. So having an archive, like a personal archival node that only you can write to, that's a, that's, that's mm-hmm. a really valid use of a relay. Running a relay and then uh, subscribing to it and recommending that people do that um, is almost pointless right now um i i think there is an argument to do that ultimately because only only people who see your notes will know about the relay and so only people in your general network will mm-hmm. uh will use the relay and the relay use of the relay will propagate through the system but it will stay fairly local i think um so that's like that's a valid way to do it. But right now we kind of like stomp of all those differences by replicating content between relays. And um, mm-hmm. that that turns relays into just a commodity where, uh, you know, supposedly the more of them, the better. But really, it doesn't make any difference because everyone uh, subscribed to Do- subscribes to Domus's relay anyway. So Domus is this right. like kind of centralized um system really where if damas deplatforms someone they're going to disappear from 80 percent of people's uh feeds um and that's well, not entirely true I, because can we yeah can we double click because i'm a little uh i just want to make sure i understand this idea you're saying if if i publish to damas and damas deplatforms me then people can't find me on damas but presumably i could i you know right now i published i don't know 12 relays or so so people could still pretty easily find me on those other relays right yeah, yeah, they can, but your reach is going to be shortened because um, everyone uses the Domus relay. Um, and, you know, if you're publishing to 12 relays, uh, like I said, at this point, with everything commoditized, most people are going to have at least one of those relays in their relay sets. And so you do have that censorship resistance. It's just weakened because um, if we really get to the Pareto principle where 80% of traffic flows through Domus um, and potentially no other source, um you you do end up with like a centralized system um and the reason people might not want to add additional relays could be for bandwidth uh reasons um it could be because a client is making uh technical decisions for people and just pointing everything to domus because that's where all the information is so um you know those kind of attacks are a lot weaker because of the 
the architecture of Noster, um, but they're still feasible, mm-hmm. um, especially if uh, one of these top uh, top relays becomes big enough to get um, sort of, um, you know, uh, like attention from the government where they have to comply mm-hmm. with uh, DMCA right. takedown orders and stuff like that. So that's the situation that sort of you want happening- to avoid. Today in reality, that's like like is Damas actually kind of eighty percent of all all publishing events or something like that? I think so. I think um, I think it's pretty close to uh, Pareto distribution already. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Damas. I think Well Order uh, might be another big one. Um, I think uh, Nostra Band has some stats on that. Let me yeah. see. Yeah, we can pull up. Uh... They have some of the top ones. I thought I thought um, Snort that social was a big one too, if I recall. Let me see if I can pull up. Yeah, we've got users per relay uh, at the bottom of stats.noster.band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Domus has almost four hundred thousand users. Eden.noster.land has three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. Uh, Nos.lol has three hundred fifty thousand, and then uh, let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, number ten is Noster.oxter.dev, and they have about mm-hmm. fifty thousand. And then mm-hmm. you've got a long tail, of course, right? Uh, a very yeah, long yeah. tail because this chart only shows about twenty five. Um, right. Right. Same thing. With do you think that's that for relay gets more concentrated over time, or do you think it might get more? kind of uh i don't know <laughs> unconcentrated or it depends on what we do i think the the current approach is not going to work because um it's expensive to run uh, a big relay and so it either has to be monetized like Nostra.land does which is great i think that's mm-hmm. a solid thing to do um it aligns incentives um or people are going to be donating a lot of money to run big relays or they're going to shut down their relays. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Domus is going to shut down. I think having a relay is a really like strategic um, asset for them. I personally don't think clients should run relays. I don't run a relay. Um, and I've heard other people say the same thing uh, because clients and relays coupling uh, sort of creates uh, uh, just, it, it just gives you more control and more responsibility over the network. Um, mm-hmm. But uh so there's a bunch of things that we can do to prevent this sort of centralization of relays. Uh, I don't know how often people use Blaster anymore, um, but not doing that would be helpful. And of course, um, not doing what is that Blaster? will. So Blaster is a it's a piece of software that listens to events uh and I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it listens to events on some or all relays and then republishes those events to all the other relays. Um, so okay. it's basically a very commoditizing force. And in the short term, it mm-hmm. makes sense because um, it allows you to get the events you want from small relays and and stay connected to small relays. So in, in the short term, it might actually have like a positive effect. If you turned off Blaster, more people would subscribe to Domus. Uh, because they are now getting an incomplete picture of the network. So, you know, in my mind, that's kind of a good thing, but I look at it as a developer where if I experience pain, I will be incentivized to fix it. Um, But for end users, Mm -hmm. it's Blaster is probably actually like a good thing right now uh, for adoption. Um, But that means that developers have to be... The commoditization of relays kind of suggests that, I mean, I think that's kind of like why the whole thing works, right? Is that uh, when you have a front end and a 
in a in a data store coupled we, we, where the front end use you know is dependent on the data store and the data store is dependent on the front end you are subject to the decisions of the people who run that whereas the because the relays are all in like you know desperate competition with each other um you know to sort of serve and host the messages you know the best and the most complete list and whatever um it actually puts them in competition which is what makes the censorship resistance kind of work isn't it yeah that's that's a really interesting uh way of putting it and i hadn't really thought in these terms before about uh competition um but like what what is incentivizing relays to compete um you know, why, what's the payoff right now it's supporting the network, but the payoff ultimately is going to be, uh, making money. So you're going to do it by charging for access, or you're going to do it by, uh, doing potentially, um, less principled things like injecting ads into, uh, your responses. Um, and then you also really can't meaningfully touch, they can't really force ads, right? Because, uh, any client could recognize what the ads are and just sort of strip them out, right? Yeah, and end user so clients can. Relays would have um, to. You can refilter. Uh, most most people don't do that right now. Uh, Kieran actually created a relay that was sending spurious events to uh, yeah. to kind of get developers to uh, to fix that problem. Just to troll people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is pretty good actually. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, so, but, but I think so you're this, right to say that relays would have to get paid eventually, but I would sort of characterize the ecosystem is so early that people don't really know how it's going to work, but that like, it seems reasonable that some amount of value that flows through these systems would end up in the, the hands of the relay operators. And I assume that's why people would be, you know, excited to maybe make the investment today to be able to, you know, participate in some of the long-term value capture there. Yeah. And I totally support that relay operators should definitely be, uh, be paid or, uh, at least the relays should, um, give the operators enough, uh, enough utility, um, that is worth their time. Otherwise we're not going to have any relays. Um, but it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to run a relay on a $5 VPS than it is to scale a relay and compete. So yep. it, when you're competing, you create uh, a really restrictive um, uh, subset of relays that are able to compete based on uh, competition uh, and you leave everyone else kind of out in the cold. And I guess you could have both things coexisting where you have uh, personal archival nodes alongside uh, large, um, large networks uh, or, or large uh, kind of repositories of, of uh, events. But I, I think people underestimate the scaling problems associated with uh, centralized relays. Uh, our volume is so low right now. Um, I, I have a good mm -hmm. friend who uh, clued me into this kind of stuff. He used to work at Twitter. And he was telling me, I think we talked about this last time, actually, uh, just about mm -hmm. all the caching strategies that Twitter has to do. Their their infrastructure is uh, just really, really, really sophisticated. Um, and so yep. forcing every relay to do that kind of operational, uh, like take on that operational complexity um, becomes really expensive. And uh, yeah, and you, you need a right. really robust business model. And I think some people will I mean, do could that. Yeah, could there be alternatives like, you know, I think about the the way blogging, you know, the evolution of blogging over the last, you know, call it 25 years or so. And, you know, initially you needed to like rent some server space from some host, right? Or like even a shared host and you'd pay five or 10 bucks a month. And then you'd install like some blogging software and then you could actually host a blog. And that was like 
a unique thing that mostly was only like, you know, nerds and tech people would do. Um, and now you can sort of just like show up anywhere, you know, Substack or WordPress or whatever, and kind of launch a blog basically for free. And if you want, you can start to pay to upgrade to get better experience. So they use the free experience as lead gen for more sophisticated services that would get, you know, you could get paid for. And like Substack, for example, you know, uh, is totally free to, for the publisher to use, but if they choose to make money on their Substack, then Substack gets a share of that. So to me, it feels like we're in kind of like 1998 blogging where like anybody who's running these things is actually paying for it and installing it and doing some maintenance. But if you fast forward, I mean, I don't think it'll take 25 years, but like if you fast forward 25 years, like none of those problems are real problems today. It's like there's a whole set of offerings at different kind of uh, configurability and price point trade-offs that different people want. And my guess is if we can get Noster um, into the hands of more people and more people find it useful, um, then those kinds of you know, trade-offs of configurability and control and cost would kind of emerge naturally as kind of a market phenomenon. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the problem I see is if, if you have like one click relays uh, where you just go to a hosted interface and you, you click on a button and I have a relay that you can run for free. Um, and, you know, let's just say it's a personal archival relay. Cause that's kind of the, the easiest use case for an end user to care about and understand. Um <sighs> Like that's that's fine. It, you know, there's the issue of it. It's host on a server, so it is a little bit more centralized in that sense. Um, but I guess what what incentive do people have to use those relays um, rather than use the the fast central, uh, you know, well well maintained one? Um, you know, if you well, could there be an architecture like all the complex caching that you're talking about, could that be some sort of a middleware layer or some other layer that's not well defined in today's ecosystem, but that can know where all the personal relays are, pull it, do all the caching and, you know, itself be a choice. Maybe it's like a caching relay that people could choose to avoid if it's not doing a good job or if it's sort of censoring people or they could use a different one that doesn't censor those people. But um, maybe like a new layer could emerge that would help solve some of these problems. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about that and you, you can have those layers either in front of or behind the relays. And so if, if mm -hmm. like you have a, like a search service is kind of a special purpose caching service and uh, obviously it has to have an index of all the data. And so if you want to search for something, you go there and they need to maintain mm -hmm. a copy of the data so that they can serve results. And then that, but the data, the data that they serve may have omissions. Um, and so how do you avoid, uh, avoid a malicious, uh, search server that, that omits things you can, you can make end users or clients choose a different search service. Um, but that has like the problem of vendor lock-in where most people mm -hmm. will not bother if it's up to the end user clients may, uh, may care, but most likely you're going to have a big client running their own search service and then imposing their right. own, uh, you know, choices. And so mm -hmm. if you can set up those, those caching and search 
and, uh, and like extension services to sit behind the relays where instead of like you bake it into the protocol to where instead of saying, well, I have this technical problem that I need to solve. So I'm going to go to the solution and then talk to the relays. You can go to the relays that, you know, you want to connect to. And since you're already kind of putting your trust in those relays uh, to um, disagree enough for you to know what data is missing, then you can ask them, like, what search services do you do you recommend? And then if like three mm -hmm. out of five relays say, well, we we know that this search service is trustworthy and they index our data because we pay for that. We, we pay for them too. then the client hops to that search service or, you know, potentially relays could proxy those search requests themselves. So mm -hmm. a relay doesn't have to be like a five dollar VPS could just give uh, give the client a redirect or just proxy uh, the search through the server. And so you, you create these relays with all of that additional functionality, really sophisticated, heavy functionality. And um, and so you commoditize the the extension functionality but not the relays mm -hmm. so you go to a particular right. relay because you care about the person who posts to it um but then that person delegates all of the computational resource uh to a, a service provider um and then mm -hmm. and then you have a different kind of vendor lock-in you have vendor lock-in for the not for the end user but for the operator of the relay and the operator of the relay is the publisher right. and so they have they care a lot more about uh about the vendors supporting them. So they're going to be more motivated to switch between those extension services. So that's kind of like, that's, that's how I hope that we can make things uh, work out, but it kind of relies on mm -hmm. developers actually investing time in solving those problems and being principled. Um, and, and yeah, like your point about, um, about it being okay for there to be large relays is a really interesting one because as long as anyone can create an archival relay and their followers can directly point their clients to it, that provides a, a certain level of censorship resistance. Um, and I guess, so like, let's just suppose that Alex Jones, uh, you know, got deplatformed from the 10 big relays that serve, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 300 million people. Uh, let's just go with Twitter's numbers. Um, sure. So you can if you want to hear about Alex Jones's ideas, you can point your relay to or point your client at his relay. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also follow relay recommendations from people who repost his content, yeah. uh, assuming that your client implements the gossip model. Um, I suppose the main the main weakness is that he wouldn't have as much reach because of the censorship of the big relays. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Well, why I'm would not he sure not how big have of a problem reach? Because I guess the thing you just described to me sounds like it would help maintain the same reach if you know people are reposting things and there's some sort of. I, I'm not an expert on the gossip model or any kind of how relay discovery works today or should work in the future, but it would seem like you know the using a major relay may be a convenience or an easy default, but I think the structure of the decoupling of these systems enables whether it's true today or not, but it enables that Alex Jones use case for him to, you know, publish on a separate server and people to easily find that and just mix that content into whatever else they're pulling from. So to me that it's kind of speaks to the magic of Noster. Like that's, you know, not all the problems are solved probably to keep that reach, but I don't think that reach has to be limited. We probably just, we probably don't have all the details worked out for how to ensure that that reach is not curtailed at all. 
Um, but like, I, I, I don't know, like what, what is the current state? Like, do we have much thinking on kind of how relay discovery or maybe it's in this gossip stuff, but like how should relays be found and discovered? And like when somebody gets taken down somewhere, how should they, how do people learn about the fact that they pop up somewhere else? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's, I think that's basically right that the gossip model, um, handles, uh, the deplatforming de of, uh, of people by handling the deplatforming of relays that aren't, uh, aren't as widely, uh, used. Um, and you know, the way the gossip model works is basically when you, when you repost something, you mention the user or like the person or the event ID, and then you include a relay in the signed event, um, that's a hint. So, you know, if that relay goes offline, uh, the hint, uh, is worthless and you're stuck to, you're stuck with checking your centralized services, uh, again, but like for the most part, that's not going to be super common except for really old information. And so when you, when you get an event, a repost or something, you can look at, you can look at the hint and say, okay, well, I can follow that to this, this marginal relay. Um, and so I think that's a really good way to allow sort of a seamless navigation of a client across everything. Actually discovering relays is, is probably more of the problem. Cause like if, um, so like if, uh, so the, couple different things going on here so you know if alex jones is deplatformed from the big relays and the big relays are the ones that everyone goes to for search so right now uh that's basically how it works is search dot or is like nostra.band mm -hmm. is the only relay uh there's one other one that supports search so everyone searches through them and so um for in terms of content discovery uh, you know, the content addressing part works because you can go to the, the relay where, that the hint pointed to and you're good. But content discovery means that, um, you know, is, is a lot more uh, centralized. So in order to find Jones's relay um, and search his content, you'd have to already know about his relay. Right. And if that relay mm -hmm. isn't if uh, if events with hints hints towards that relay are removed from search results um, or search results are in a different format, then you don't have that content discovery mechanism anymore. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that quite gets at the question. Could you repeat the, the question? Well, yeah, I, I guess I'm just trying to, given the decoupling of all of the pieces in Noster, it seems to me like we should be able to help reassemble uh, you know, where content gets published, even if we don't necessarily have those tools or the protocol doesn't quite support it today in a perfect way. So I guess I'm just trying to understand better, you know, I think, I think you, you propose like, I think a little bit of a, a gloomy scenario where something, you know, where a, uh, a, a certain relay gets, you know, maybe 80% or more, or the handful of relays get a lot of, um, a lot of the attention and sort of publishing and consumption. And, you know, we've been talking about this Alex Jones case. And so if Alex Jones were to get deplatformed from the, you know, let's say the five or six relays that basically everybody's using, is there a mechanism where he could go off isolated, build his own personal relay and somehow broadcast out or somehow be discovered or somehow not lose most of the, um, you know, most of the audience that he already has. And I, I I don't know if we have all of the tools to do that. I would assume we probably don't because it's very early in the development of solving these problems. But I would guess that because these 
because it probably can be possible to build such a thing, it puts all relays on notice that they better not censor things or if, go ahead and censor it if you want. But like, it's obviously going to get carried by these five or six other ones. Like, how do you get all the centralized relays to coordinate and agree what the policy should be, who should be taken down? I think it's unlikely that they'll all see it the same way. And so just by having even five or six big players, I think you're mostly safe from that. But I don't know exactly the, you know, if it's the way gossip works or something else, but how do you actually help a brand new relay that nobody knows about that just got birthed, you know, today, uh, but that carries some important messages that a lot of people want to hear? How do you sort of broadcast that to the network or help people understand that that can or should be pulled from? And I don't know, like, I mean, I'm talking very abstract and theoretical. I don't know if <laughs> to what extent these things do work today or to what extent gossip is widely supported or sort of the details of how that that works but maybe i don't know if any of that sort of refreshes the some of the context of what i'm still a little bit foggy about yeah so i think if you if you're if you're big already and then you get deplatformed uh Nostra can help you keep your audience because you have a well-known relay let's hope uh that people can connect with and so yeah that's less of a problem Maybe it's maybe it's more of an issue of smaller people who get deplatformed, um, who are not as well known and are still in the uh, sort of discovery phase of their their content. Um, being deplatformed mm -hmm. would mean that the only mechanism for discovering that would be relay hints, uh, which could be purged from from the centralized players. And um, yeah, if there's like five big relays, uh, they might not agree as strictly on what should be deplatformed but you know a lot of the impetus for removal is like i pre I, I basically support um uh censorship of uh inappropriate content like youtube has a platform and they don't want violence and 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 porn and stuff on their 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 mm -hmm. site and that's like completely fine for them to say like this is the kind of content we we want to serve and this is the kind that yep. we don't want to serve when it becomes it becomes a problem when they're being told by the government or uh by some other like cultural apparatus to censor um uh right. valuable information um and that that is the kind of censorship that is going to happen across more across the board so if you're five and that's where you have like jurisdictional arbitrage i guess where if you right. have your five big relays uh but one of them is based in you know like russia or something uh they're going to be concerned about the uh, about removing different things but of course right. you know, if it's based in russia um then maybe you won't have access to it if you're in the united states so it's effectively not a relay in that in that situation mm. and so um the size of relays uh, the size and number of relays is important because uh, a thousand small relays can't be effectively policed, but five big relays could be. Um, right. So if you do, because it's like a it's a legal process basically to do those uh, takedowns. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so with with uh, yeah, so with a few big relays. Um, but but uh, your question was more about uh, how can new publishers get their content discovered. Um, it, it, assuming like a functioning uh, network, right? Without without censorship, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's really interesting. Um, I would say so. Yeah, one one idea that I've had that I really like is basically aligning relays with more narrowly with a particular form of content. So rather than a relay being mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, we we serve the entire network. Um, a relay might say we are uh, this magazine um, and we publish stuff that's relevant to Bitcoin. And we already have that. We have like Bitcoin only mm -hmm. relays and just extending that to every different topic and community. Like we are the English only relay or we are the relay right. that, um, you know, republishes all of the United States government's uh, announcements. Um, and then mm -hmm. you have this kind of narrow band of information that you're interested in. And so for these and that that can actually be that can support an advertising model. Right. So these relays have a following because of the topic that they're they're publishing. And so if a new publisher mm -hmm. comes online and wants to get their their stuff discovered, they go to the relay where their readers are. Um, so, you know, I start a Bitcoin podcast and I want to be discovered. So I go talk to the Bitcoin only relay that everyone like it's one yep. of the big ones for for the size of the community. It's not so big that it's um, like has a meaningful level of censorship across a lot of channels. It's just a big channel. And I ask them, hey, uh, if I give you a hundred bucks a month, will you publish my notes? And they add mm -hmm. they add my pub key to their whitelist. And then there you go. And then, of course, my notes can have uh, a hint um, to my own relay. And that, that strengthens my, my connection to the network in terms of right. serving. And that's, that's a really interesting idea because I, I haven't thought about it, this in terms of, uh, crafting hints, right. Um, Coracle mm -hmm. tries to do the best hints possible with the information that we were given, but as a publisher, you might really have a strong opinion about what relay you want to publish as your hint, rather than just saying, just like choose any, any relay that I publish to as my hint, um, right. you know, in Coracle, that's probably going to result with in a whole lot of hints towards Domus, just because mm -hmm. most people are connected to Domus um, and, and fewer hints to the, the less well-known ones. So as a user, you should probably be able to say, like, what relay do you prefer to uh, hint uh, when you're publishing, like you can right. publish to a lot of different relays, but you want to point people to your specific node. Um, I think that would be really productive using the wider network as a bootstrap to increase the reputation of your of your slice of it. Um, right. Yeah. So you're kind of uh, building like your really audience around your or kind of building your audience or relationships around your kind of private node, say, and sort of build build up some reputation there. Yeah. Yeah. So it would, it would be kind of domain reputation. And of course that has problems connected with it too. Jameson Lop has been talking a lot about why email failed the way it did. Um, and, uh, and like, that's really the, the, the same way I see the risk to Noster is a lot of small, reasonable decisions piling up until, uh, people can't run their own relay essentially. Right. So, right. and I don't really know how you solve that other than proof of work. Um, I used to be kind of against proof of work for Noster, but uh, I see the value now. And is that um, proof of work in in some sort of publishing mechanism or in kind of key generation or where where would proof of work live? Yeah. So when you when you create a event ID, um, the ID is random. Uh, so you just, uh, you generate a bunch of random IDs until you have a bunch of zeros at the front of it. And then that proves that you put in a certain amount of work to publish this event. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that's a good weapon against spam. So the downfall of email was not, um, was not censorship, uh, 
and reputation in that sense, it was reputation because uh, an unknown domain is most likely to be a spammer. So right. if you have that mechanism to kind of bypass the spam problem, then relay relay reputation might be less of a sticky issue. But yeah, right. I mean, I'm way out over my skis at this point. I, <laughs> I don't know the answer to these answers to these questions. Right. How, how do you think about I know that you uh, I think I saw some screenshots you shared around how the the onboarding process or one of the core screens within uh, Coracle works for finding relays. And so I'd, maybe I could characterize you as a as a proponent of more surfacing of relays or more kind of user uh, awareness or selection. Uh, how do you, do you have like a mental model or a simple way to communicate to a new user who doesn't really understand this? They're maybe coming from a different social media experience and they're kind of coming to this. How would you describe what, the purpose of selecting a relay is? Yeah, unfortunately, not really, not yet. Um, you know, a relay is like uh, the, 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 the best metaphor I have so far is it's a server, but that's something that normal people are not going to understand or appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, so relay decommoditization has to happen before, uh, before you can come up with those those metaphors and explanations um, mm -hmm. in my, in my putative future world, uh, a magazine is the best, the best metaphor I have so far. So, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, like kind of in the, in the sense of a zine, it's kind of a punk publisher uh, where right. one person just gets to say who they publish to or who they republish. And, um, and you follow the, the zines that you, are interested in and the difference mm -hmm. being that it's not content that you're you're shooting for it's it's like meta content so a relay is um is kind of a well it's a curation so i uh tried out yaki hone recently and uh it's this uh chinese noster client um and it's pretty good they have and they have curation so you basically it's like lists of contents kind of like pinster actually too um but it's really well mm -hmm. presented um and i think that's kind of the way forward for relays um because relays are um they're not currently clustered around content or communities but that's how they could decommoditize because if relays are commoditized there is no there is no reason to choose any relay over another except for reliability and speed and completeness of data. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the best recommendation for a newcomer right now is choose the default relays, uh, and that'll connect you to the whole network. Um, right. but you know, if there, if there is going to be a recommendation, it has to be based on content. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you find the, um, the idea of having kind of a, a relay coupled with something algorithmic, do you find that like, okay and consistent with your hope for the future or do you find algorithmic stuff coupled into relays is kind of like a, a bad pattern that we should be trying to avoid i think that's great um it's much much better than having the uh algorithm built into the client um because there's so with the client you can or you can open source the relay i mean open source the algorithm a lot more easily um but that's not really that useful to most people um Mm -hmm. you, you can have some information that's out there about, well, here's how the client does it. And here's the different algorithms and you can have a lot of transparency, but it's kind of, um, it's, uh, 
if if your client does a really good job with your algorithm, then that is a centralizing force where people are, people are going to want to use that client because it has good algorithms. Right. Um, can also be a decentralizing force because the client's just like, I serve you my followers and that's what you, or I serve your followers and that's what you want. But uh, with relays, you have a lot more user choice and a lot uh, lower user friction. So um if you couple a real uh, a couple an algorithm and a client really closely, you have to use that client to get that algorithm. It becomes a feature of the client, right? right? And maybe you don't like everything about the client, um, but you're stuck on the client because they have this algorithm, or you go there to use their algorithm. Yep. But if you have algorithms on relays, you can uh, relays have uh, um, they're accountable uh, because you can leave a review on the relay and say Swap them this algorithm is not actually what it advertises to be and they're swappable you can use that relay from any mm -hmm. different client and they're composable so you can create a list of relays for a given purpose and um and then subscribe to that entire list and now you get to mix and match a bunch of different relay algorithms so like ultimately you might have really really granular relay algorithms that are like this relay only serves posts from these two pub keys that mention this topic and then you just add that to, to your relay set and there you go like you have a really focused uh content stream and then you add that to a bunch of other relays so i think it's i think it's perfect and that's that's a really good example of decommoditization of relays because that's that's mm -hmm. content focused and it's not because people publish to those particular relays it's because those relays uh surface surface that content so that's that's they really a, a lot job like of that. serving people's kind of needs yeah so that that's like that zine uh example that mm -hmm. i was mentioning um yeah. i've seen people try to try to do reddit uh alternatives on Nostr and so far yeah, i was gonna ask what what's the state of that because when you talk about zines to me that feels like a subreddit and it feels like this yeah. is something that we have evidence now of bad behavior from centralized platforms that probably is bad enough behavior that would you know people would actually be looking you know in mass for an alternative uh are there really good kind of subreddit like Nostra clients out there today or what's the sort of state of that world i wish i could remember the name of the clients i might have one written down because i've to me this feels like one of these you know uh one of these cases like i don't know that a lot of people experience direct censorship on twitter and so I think it's easy for people to say, oh, cool, like Twitter clones, those are nice. You know, we like them. They're little water coolers for us to hang around on Noster uh, because we're sort of already excited about the, you know, underlying ideas. But, you know, to really find new audiences that don't really care so much about, you know, maybe all the technology, but they just want to get something done. feels like the subreddit censorship use case is a great one because you get a whole group of people who are experiencing the same problem at the same time and if you get just one of them one group of them to switch and they all have a good experience probably word gets out and others others would would find this compelling too so i wonder if yeah, the subreddit yeah, is yeah. actually yeah yeah that's really interesting because the network effect is not as strong for reddit because it's not the entire network that you care about it's just the one thing where there's like 12 active members and so yeah a lot lower barrier to switching um yeah the the reddit like client so zap zap it is one um how do you spell that z-a-p-d-i-t d-i-t z-a-p they're one and there's another one that i saw i can't remember what it is but um they're mostly organized around um like a topic 
uh, idea that's built into the protocol. Um, mm. Like, so Zapdid is just like a topic browser. Um, and then there's one that's actually built on Coracle, but I can't remember what it's called. Uh, oh, it's maybe a, I can find a it. subreddit like experience built on top of Coracle. Yeah. Um, it's actually really gratifying to see someone build on top yeah, of my that's work. Cool. <laughs> uh, I've almost got it here. Agora social hmm. dot app is that one. Um, yeah, it looks like Coracle, app. but it's focused on topics. So hmm. you've got two Reddit like interfaces and both of them use topics as sort of the primitive for subreddits. And I don't think that's where it's going to stop. So Amethyst recently introduced communities, which uh, I don't mm -hmm. think it has moderation yet, but moderation is kind of on the table. Um, that's NIP 172 on the on the GitHub. Um, mm -hmm. And but yeah, so like topics aren't really subreddits. They're just topics. Uh, they're not. Right. This looks, it's not a group I'm looking of at people. Agora, it looks kind of like hashtag oriented. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a group of people. It's it's content based on kind of self self-identifying what your content is actually about. So right. I don't think that's a really complete replacement for Reddit. Um, but it does have the benefit of, of having, having that censorship resistance. So if you built a Reddit model based on relays where uh, you have like a moderated relay where people post, now you've basically got your Mastodon situation again. You don't really have a home server where your profile is stored. So at least there's that. But if if you have a topical re relay, then they have complete control over the topic. And if you want moderation, that's a good thing. But, um, you know, if maybe you want different moderation than someone else. So it'd be really interesting to have a Reddit, a subreddit where you have two different owners, two, two different sets of owners, and they they moderate using different heuristics. And right. you want to join that subreddit but you want to subscribe to, to moderator B rather than moderator A, you can still interact with the people in, in uh subreddit sub sub subreddit uh, a yeah, um, yeah. based on the intersection of the moderation. Um, right. And so, oh man, that's really, really interesting. Maybe that's the right way to do it. Yeah. Maybe this, that's better than having this, uh, than having uh, say, the this, special this feels relays. really interesting to me because well it could be that the special purpose relay plays a role but i'm imagining something that's very noster native where a client lets you publish a note but maybe it has some sort of maybe there's a new kind or some sort of metadata that says this belongs to a certain place like a certain community a certain magazine a certain subreddit and so i can publish it even if the people who originally set that up don't agree with what i'm saying but i can like put it into the pool of things that people might pull from when deciding and they might run the primary relay that serves up all of the notes that are tied to this they might choose their own algorithm they might have their own moderation scheme but because all of the notes are written by any individuals who want to tag it as part of that thing they it's kind of like submission versus front page Right. Like anybody who wants can kind of submit to a subreddit, but only a certain set of things makes it to the front page. It feels like those could be kind of decoupled nicely with the Noster native, like publish things to a relay. Maybe maybe there's like one core relay operator who operates a thing, does moderation, does algorithms, but other people could pick up those same notes and run very different algorithms on that, very different moderation approaches on that so you kind of get sort of the best of both worlds but it's like a it's like a very 
Noster native concept. It's not really like it's not like a hashtag like we're seeing in Agora, and it's not like a fully centralized thing. It's maybe something that begins a little centralized, but could expand. Uh, you know, because it, like if it architecturally allows for you know anybody to submit and tag things as such. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, anyone can submit, and anyone can become a moderator. If all you have to mm -hmm. do to become a moderator is publish a moderation opinion and uh, yep. and there you go. And um, yep. you could potentially have multiple moderation subgroups that are that have different approaches. So you might have a whitelist moderator and you might have a blacklist moderator. Mm -hmm. um, your whitelist moderator would say, uh, I'm going to say that these things are part of my well curation, really, at that point. Uh, you you have the complete authority over what is in your uh, subreddit. Um, but then a blacklist moderator would be like, everything is visible by default if I don't say anything, but then I'm going to remove things yep. uh, from my curation. Um, the first yep. one would scale better than the second one. But yeah, but the, both would totally be uh, usable. And the, the idea of having a, a, an individual relay support those moderation decisions is interesting too, because the relay would not be a relay for the subreddit. It would be a relay for the moderator. Um, really, the subreddit doesn't exist. Well, it does. Yeah. So the subreddit is basically, instead of a relay that you publish, that you post your notes to, it would be some some uh, some note in the system that you reference when publishing a note. Um, yeah, I think, and I think that's kind of how NIP172 is is progressing. Uh, you've changed my mind. I, I was originally not super happy with that uh, kind of moderated communities approach, but um, you've convinced me. I think that is actually really good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm uh, just, I find it compelling that, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of composition. Um, so the, the, mm -hmm. the better primitives we have, the more we can do with them. Um, and this, this seems like a really good primitive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also like the fact that we we have evidence of people launching their own subreddit like things outside of Reddit that can be successful on their own. So like, mm -hmm. you know, I think um Hacker News is one example, Stacker News is another example. Um yeah. I've I've actually uh chatted briefly with with um Kian about this. You know, he runs Stacker News, which is a fully centralized service, but he's also been building things in you know he built uh it's booger and orbit which are you know noster tools that he's using to sort of explore the space uh, but it feels like something like that we already have evidence that if you find just a focus community that cares about it um you can you can get enough people together that that thing works um and it, it, yeah I, th I think it's just like it's like a moment in time right now where i think people would be running toward this instead of just you know running away from uh you know twitter maybe they're running away from reddit but there's enough of them at a you know with, with a deep enough need here it's obvious to you know dozens of people at the same time um and if yeah. it's this this magazine thing i also know last time we talked which was several months ago but you had talked about um kind of these sort of like the facebook groups modality and some of your church group and how they might fit i wonder would would something like a subreddit for kind of as a replacement for a facebook group or kind of an alternative way to consume information that might otherwise flow through a facebook group does that feel like it's mission aligned and consistent with what maybe the the group that you're you've been thinking about would need or is it more like you want to get this working with 
more of a tech audience first and maybe graduate to kind of other more non-tech uh, themes later? Yeah, the, the tricky thing about that is privacy, I think. So having an open subreddit system like we're talking about allows for a whole bunch of different opinions about different about the content and subscribing to those opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like the subreddit idea is the same as decentralized moderation um, of anything. Mm. Um, whereas with a community, you have if you want to post to a community and not have the rest of the network see it, you need a whole different it might be an entirely different approach, you know, either right. you either use encryption and you're throwing a bunch of encrypted notes on the relays and they aren't really going to appreciate that because they don't know if it's spam or not. Um, especially if you have like wrappers that obfuscate who actually even posted it in the first place, um, yep. it's just going to look like trash or you have um, a couple of relays that you publish in plain text to that then um, uh, don't share uh that information with with anyone else um i as far as like wanting to build that 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 is still where i'm focused um there's just so much other stuff to do first but i think about yep. that use case all the time i just need someone uh to uh to pilot it with so if mm -hmm. you're if you're out there anyone and you have a private community whether it's a church or a business or like an interest group or whatever it might be uh, let me know, reach out to me on Noster and I will bill it for you. Um, but, uh, one interesting idea that I came across, uh, in, in conversations with, uh, uh, Aaron Aronesty, uh, Eric Aronesty on GitHub is the idea of combining the cryptography and the relay, uh, uh, relay hosting sort of capabilities. So for censorship resistance, you would, uh, use a, use a shared private key, um, that you would encrypt everything with, and then you would send that to the wider network, but then you would read events from a particular relay or, or even like another relay that you stand up that then copy those events and serve and then unwrap them. So the relay has access mm -hmm. to the private key so that it can then index and uh, add search to your notes. Mm. And then, so you ask it for a query and then it spits out all the encrypted notes and you have the private key for the group as well. Um, and so you unwrap those notes and then you can see them. And what that does is it allows you to publish to the wider network without sharing any secret data. And it fixes the search problem because when you when you start wrapping notes and encrypting the content, you um, you end up with the problem of there's no metadata on them. So, right. you know, if you have a really large group with 10,000 members or something, you're going to end up with a million events that the only right. way to search them is to download all of them and then run your search mm -hmm. across them in memory, which is not feasible for any client, really. So having a right. relay do that heavy lifting for you would be a good way, a good out. So you could use the cryptographic approach and then unlock it with with a privileged relay, which, which would really so be whoever like would assemble extension. the group would be choosing a relay to trust with that kind of decryption key. Is that right? Well, the, the the proposal that we have out right now for this is uh, every member of the group has the private key. And so what that mm -hmm. means is they can they can create they can post to the group with impunity and they can uh, decrypt anything posted to the group. Um, the problem mm -hmm. with that, obviously, is uh, the the classic uh, key rotation problems. Uh, you know, if you share the key. Publicly, the entire group is compromised and you can read everything that was ever posted yep. to the group. So um, 
you know, one way to one way to get around that is to have a moderator with a separate key. Um, and then those moderators share that key with that privileged relay. And so nothing is in the group unless it was published with the moderation key. So the moderator listens to um, listens to events published to the group by members, unwraps those, rewraps them with the moderation mm, key, and then serves right. those from the relays. The original events are either discarded or just kind of like, well, hopefully they would be discarded. Hopefully you would publish them to the privileged relay so they can be destroyed. And then you reduce the attack surface area for the uh, the key leakage um, right. to not 10,000 members, but three moderators. And then those moderators get to uh as a side effect get to actually moderate what's in the group and what isn't um but it it would help with some of the security aspects of it so i think right. that's that's a pretty promising design for the mm -hmm. private groups stuff yeah i, I wonder actually cuz uh a few things here last time we talked i think was a day or two before i first noticed simplex out and i wonder like yeah. have you studied that and does that look like a compelling you know, solution or partial solution to some of these problems? Not at all. I, I've left that to other people. Uh, I haven't had that, that much time the last couple months and, mm -hmm. uh, it, the buzz around it has died down a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've not used it or been sent a message through it as far as I know. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah, I played around with it and it, it's, it's cool and a little clunky. It didn't quite do exactly what I'd hoped, but I, I can, I can see, I mean, you can sort of squint and see that the experience could be improved. Um, it doesn't, doesn't take a lot. It's already kind of in pretty good shape. Uh, so, I, but I wonder if there are some of the technical details with how they do their queuing and, you know, the sort of message queues that people pull off of, I think are sort of equivalent to a relay from mm -hmm. Noster or at least sort of analogous in some way. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm interested if like if there's stuff in private groups if that kind of stuff could be part of a solution. Um, but the other thing I was thinking about is uh, with uh, you're sort of making a call to you know find groups of people who might find this valuable. And I I think it's like a slightly different use case, but maybe close enough. Is I think um, recently I thought I saw that Will was consolidating a bunch of the email lists that are active onto a Google group. And uh, I think it's not fully private or like you can join it even if you weren't invited. So they may have like a more liberal permissioning, but I wonder if you were to solve it in a, you know, if you had like a really polished client and experience around, uh, you know, kind of these relay kind of moderation and, and signing hypotheses, if you could actually get a core set of Nostra people, you know, would probably be excited to use that as a core tool. So I don't know if that's a good, good spot to look or if it's too high a bar to sort of, you know, have a prototype be good enough to replace kind of what otherwise works in an email case, but that, that might be yeah. one to look at. Yeah. Dog food. It. I did. Yeah. I didn't know about that group. Uh, so far, uh, a bunch of like developer Nostra groups pop up and then disappear and just become inactive. So I think, <laughs> um, the culture of of Nostra development is uh, is so open that there's just not right. that much interest in a uh, alternative. Just uh, just send your notes to the to the entire uh, network and uh, you can talk about it there. Right, right. But there's there still are like telegrams that are topic specific or email lists and stuff. So it feels like there. Are for some reason, I don't know which ones are the most active or if ones pop up and, and die down, but, uh, but there's, 
even though we have kind of a small enough group that is tenable within the core protocol, I think people still like launching separate experiences, you know, sort of trying different different types of permissioning or visibility or scoping. So there's some, yeah, some sort of definitely. You know, something, some appetite for that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Just got to find, find the right people and create an experience that's good enough for them to use. I have chat in Coracle and I haven't touched it since December because honestly, I want, I want the feature to die. Uh, I don't want to have to maintain mm. it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but people use it, so <laughs> I can't kill it. Mm -hmm. Yep. But yeah, like cool. choosing, adding features, uh, you never know exactly which one is going to create an entirely separate product that you have to maintain. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to stay focused when there's so much, so many different ideas that you want to uh, try out and execute on. We should probably wrap anything, any last minute uh, ideas that we should have been chatting about that we didn't get, get to cover yet. No, I think we, I think we covered it. That was a good conversation. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for making the time. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank keep, you for having me. I think there's so much, uh, so much, uh, always happening, you know, day by day, week by week. So just talking yeah. to people like you who are in the thick of it are really what, what helped me learn the most and keep kind of shaping and forming my opinions. Then if we can share it with other people, that's great too. Yeah. It's great to get out of my head too. Uh, I've changed my opinions about a couple of different things over the course of this conversation. So <laughs> great. And people got to check out your podcast, new podcast. Yeah, do it. Thank God for no tell, tell us again how to find it. Do I we just go into like any any podcast client? We can search for Thank God for Noster and find episode one. Yep, it's published on Anchor, so it'll be anywhere. But tgfb.com uh, is the site for for them. Sounds good. All right, man. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks, David. Have a good one.